And so what I recommend them to do is to engage in an act of self-pleasure that is detached from the need to ejaculate. Just forget about orgasms. Don't watch porn and instead use your own imagination. Later, you will see that you don't even have to use your own imagination. The deeper your practice is, you'll see that just by breathing and becoming present, you can become hard. Welcome to What I Love About Sex, where some incredible guests and I, Steph Kanowski, will be bringing you the tools for improving your sex life with topics such as sex issues with your partner, sexual self-confidence, premature ejaculation, sexual shame, masturbation, sharing your fetishes, orgasmic pleasure, and more. Sex is still so taboo, and I personally believe that by improving our understanding and communication skills around sex, we can enhance our own self-pleasure as well as deepening our long-term romantic relationships. So listen in, try to stay open-minded, and let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on the What I Love About Sex podcast. I'm really excited to share this interview with you today because it's very different from all the other episodes on my podcast, (laughs) pretty much the majority of them. It taps more into the spiritual, erotic, poetic side of sex. And you'll see that this man who I'm interviewing, who I will introduce shortly, is very tapped into spirituality and and the energetic side of sex and sexual expression. And it's just a really unique conversation. So I really think you're going to like it. It gives you a whole nother perspective and realm of sexuality that you probably never even thought of or tapped into. And it just makes a lot of sense. I definitely framed the questions that I asked him around topics that I get from you guys. So buckle up, enjoy this episode, And let me introduce Yuval. Yuval is an ex-Jewish Orthodox turned intimacy educator and erotic bondage artist. Yuval spent over a decade traveling, exploring, and facilitating sex-positive events and communities around the world. He learned under various teachers and masters of different schools of thought in erotic communication, fetish and BDSM, bondage art, and more. In recent years, Yuval's work has been focused on the exploration of the subjective side of sex, the spiritual, poetic, and erotic, and has been teaching people how to turn their relational and sexual expression into a sacred experience of love, service, and unity with the divine. Yuval, thanks so much for coming on this show. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so you're known as an agent of pleasure, a magician of ecstasy, and just teaching epic sex and connection. And just based on your, your TikTok alone, you really have some great sex tips. Um, and I just find myself scrolling, even when you're like, this is just for guys, so you can scroll. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to read all this. Um, so let's talk about, um, can you give, let's just start off with like, what got you into this? Um, what got you interested in what you, got you into wanting to share this information to the point where like, you're so comfortable with it. You're super knowledgeable. Like where did this start for you? Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, just to, um, to be really clear, like I don't have any, I haven't studied that in university. I don't have any, you know, like I said, 
certificates or anything like that, nor am I a sexologist or a sex therapist. You can, I mean, the way I view myself is more like an entertainer or a poet. You know, I'm, what I'm interested in is the, not, not as much the objective part of sexuality, which is what we can measure, we can see scientifically, and we can understand and do studies about, but rather the more subjective experience of it, the more poetic, the more spiritual, the more erotic part of sex. That's what I'm really interested in, because this, um, as many great um, people who came before me, some of which are also PhDs and researchers said, that's where the erotic part, the, the subjective part, is where legendary sex, legendary love is really at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you can figure out all you want, how sex works, why do we have sex, how we used to have sex in the past versus how we will now, what positions you are at, and so on and so forth, how everything functions. But if you haven't figured out or haven't dived a little bit deeper with intention into the spirit part of sex, into the poetic side of sex, into the erotic, then what are we even doing? You know, this is where the depth is. So I would say that this is, as an entertainer, this is my area of, of, um, of fascination. I started doing it simply because that everything I speak about is my own personal experience. I came from a very religious background and me particularly was fundamentalist Judaism. But a lot of people resonate with my work because they came from other kinds of um, extreme or fundamentalist um, orthodox backgrounds, um, which come with, the, with their own uh, baggages of shame and guilt and kind of like this sense that sexuality is something that we have to do in hiding and it's something that we cannot really spoke about. None of us got proper sexual education or had the example, the role model of speaking about sex like it's food, you know, just like talking about it, opening up about it conversing with each other, sharing our subjective experience in order to experience more depth together. And so when I left religion, I was really confused and I had a lot of shame and guilt around my own expression of my own sexuality. And I really wanted to figure it out, you know? I was like, I I wanna have great sex and not just have great sex for personal gratification. I wanted to make it a token of my expression of love in the world. I wanted to have it an experience of expansion and deep love and connection with everybody involved and while making it consensual and constructive and healthy and and so on and so forth, which the beginning was really confusing. Like, how am I expressing myself sexually in a way that is to everybody's benefit? Um, And... um, was there anything that's, that specifically made you want to make that change? Like you were in this place of, of shame. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I want to have a great sex life. Like I want to know what that really would feel like. Was there any person or situation that drew you to that? Shit? Well, it's a combination of a bunch of things. Um, it's actually a great question. When I think about it, I feel like maybe my first sexual experience or at least my first sexual experience with another person that didn't involve masturbation or anything with my first uh, partner we both just came out of a very religious background. I was in the army back then. And uh, we just connected on a really deep level. Uh, I was virgin until then. I was 22 at 21, I think. Um, so pretty late uh, bloomer. Um, and we had such a powerful connection. It was like we didn't know anything, but we were both kind of like really explorative. 
it was really kinky before we even knew what kink is, you know? Um, and so I remember very clearly the first time I had sex and it was such a profoundly pleasurable experience that I was like, holy shit, I want to do it all the time now. Like it was such a profound experience on all, on all levels. Um, and I think from there I was like, okay, but I do, I do sense that there is a lot to explore and a lot of death that I haven't experienced and there's a lot of shame and guilt around it that I want to expand. So I think that put me on that, on that journey. Yeah. Did you feel shame right after your first time? Because it was like, oh my God, I shouldn't be doing any of this. Or was it kind of like this just full pleasure? Yeah. So for a while, there was still this voice in my head, you know, like when I was 14 and just going through puberty, um, I was still in a very religious Orthodox background, like from the age of 10, when my parents and I became religious to the age of 17, 18, when I left, I was in boys only um, Jewish institutes. So I had, I haven't spoken with a woman that is not my sister or my mother, you know, wow let alone express my desire to anyone. Um, on top of that, there is also the, the fear of God because masturbation is a highly forbidden in most, uh, in most not in most religions, but in, in the prominent monotheistic religions, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember not masturbating because it's forbidden and still having fantasies because I'm going through puberty and it's not something that I even control. And I would have these wet dreams and I would wake up with a wet bed, um, as naturally happens if you just don't ejaculate for a long time, especially when you go through puberty and your whole body is, you know, going crazy with hormones. And I felt it was really pleasurable, but I felt so incredibly uh, guilt, guilty and, and fearful. And I would run away in the morning to the mikveh, which is this uh, Jewish bathhouse that you go to purify yourself. Wow. Um, I would go and then pray to, to God forgive me for this like completely natural thing that just goes through my body. So at the time when I met her, there was a few years there was not a religion a religious anymore. And I was I had sexual experiences with myself. I was masturbating, I was exploring my own pleasure. So I didn't have much as much shame around it or fear around it anymore. I didn't feel that the sky will fall on me or anything like that. Um but uh, it took a few years to like peel off a lot of the layers and you know, shame is expressing itself in many, many subtle ways as well. It's not just um, in the how constricted you are in your sexual expression um, and how like connected or not it is to God and the, the, your religious um, programming, but rather in the, the smallest things, just being comfortable with your body, being comfortable in a space, being comfortable in speaking about certain things, expressing certain desires that are maybe culturally or religiously being uh, frowned upon. Um, it's very subtle, you know, and it, it plays a part in every little bit of your sexual expression. So it took a few years to kind of try different things and put myself in um, wild um, sexual experiences to kind of like get that off my, my plate. Yeah. And I just want to, I want to ask this question before I forget. Um, Cause I know there's a lot of guys who listen to this show who do still feel shame and they're in their forties, fifties, sixties. And, you know, they'll see a post of mine and be like, wow, like I felt so guilty or so shameful around this until I saw that other people are dealing with it. Or like, I still feel shame around this and I don't know why, and I can't get rid of it. And there's just so much talk of sexual shame and being someone who's come out of that 
and were, you know, in your younger years raised with a lot of it due to the culture and your religion. Um, what would you tell these guys in who want to rid themselves of this sexual shame? Like what would be your number one piece of advice? So there are a few layers to it. I think the first thing um, is realizing that what we resist persists. As long as we have the idea that somehow in order to express ourselves fully or be welcome and loved as we are, we need to climb some kind of a mountain of becoming healed or getting to a certain point of consciousness or whatever, we are just putting unnecessary boundaries between us and just expressing ourselves fully. It all starts from accepting yourself where you're at right now, realizing that your shame or guilt or thoughts or emotions in general are not who you really are. You and your essence have nothing to do with all of that. It's just identities that you just happen to wear at that particular moment. Once you realize and you have this separation that your shame is not who you are, you realize that you can feel shame and still have an incredible sexual experience that is beneficial to everybody involved. So it's rather than being this oh, in order for me to be worthy of incredible sex and really enjoying myself and being with an epic relationship with someone, I need to heal my shame. It becomes, oh, here is my shame. Hello, shame. <laughs> you know, you just experience that and you are being there conscious and aware as it's happening just by being that, just by becoming aware of where, where is your shame at, how it feels and where is it playing in your sexual life. Just by doing that, you created spaciousness in your, in your consciousness that allow you to keep functioning in a beautiful, pleasurable, and beneficial way in the world, even though you're feeling shame, you know? And it, this concept ties to many other areas of life, like, you know, as someone who works with people, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I feel like shit, you know? Like, I'm not always performing at my best, but what really changed my entire reality is realizing that I don't have to be at my peak in order to be useful and be of service to people. I don't, I don't have to be at my peak to be loving and devoted to my partner, to bring my energy and my intentionality and create a sacred space with her. I don't have to be perfect or more spiritual or healed in order to create all of these powerful things in my life. And I think it's the same with shame. It's just another human experience. It's not your identity. Beyond that is putting yourself where you're afraid to be, you know? you have some fear or resistance around experimenting or experiencing something sexually, try it out, you know? Of course, take it slow, be aware of how you feel, communicate how you experience, don't push your limits too far, but experience some things that you're afraid of, you know? Um, if it's experimenting with different sexual experiences, being in different sex-positive spaces or events, alone or with, your, or with a partner, and going to certain workshops that has to do with the work of intimacy and sexuality, challenge yourself. And that's beyond what you're afraid of. Once you go through it and you see that it's not the end of the world and nothing really happened and you feel this like new depth of, of experience, you'll be like, oh, wow, I'm happy I did that. So mm. these are the two main things that I would, I would recommend like starting to embody. I love that. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I want to... Um... I think what, what causes a lot of shame, at least what I've heard from my audience is, is having certain fantasies and not knowing if they should play them out in reality and just feeling, uh, unsure about what's going on in their head. And like, does this make me a bad person? Like, does this make mm. me fucked up? Am I screwed up in the head? You know, and there's all this 
this negative self-talk that comes from that feeling of shame and embarrassment. Um, so what would you tell? Cause what I typically say is that, and I don't, I haven't really dived into this yet, but what I say is that just because you have a fantasy doesn't mean it has to become a reality, but you know, you can, you can go for it. Um, but sometimes it's maybe not appropriate and sometimes maybe it's, you know, not, you're not ready for it, but, um, but yeah, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on fantasies and men who are just, just terrified with the fantasies that go on in their heads and just embarrassed by them. Yeah. So let's talk about fantasies because it's a beautiful, beautiful expansion and that we can talk about, um, you know, in a lot of depth. So first of all, and it's interesting that it comes up now because I just right before this had a conversation with one of my um, clients um, exactly about that, about fantasy, especially about certain types of porn. And it's interesting because talking about shame, there is so much guilt and fear that people experience around the kind of porn or the kind of fantasies that they have with that usually the, the inclination that people, especially men, will experience is to collapse into this sense of um, a lack of consciousness in that moment, completely losing their sense of awareness because they try to repress that kind of fantasy. So first of all, exactly like you said, it's important to realize that something that you fantasize about and something you actually want happening or want to do in reality is a completely, completely two different things at all. There are studies being made um, among women, especially, um, that shows that an incredible, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was like um, a mind-blowing um, percentage of women that were reporting, um, fantasizing about being raped. Mm-hmm. And you look at it and you're like, do they really want to be raped? Of course not. What they actually want is experiencing the essence of that experience of being taken, of being ravished, of being taking, you know, of being losing control to someone in a space that is safe, consensual, you know, um, and loving. That's what they actually experience. They don't want the actual non um, lack of consent or the actual emotional and physical pain that is associated with actual rape. They want the essence of it. That's what's alluring and erotic about it. And so this is a very quite extreme fantasy, you know? So whatever fantasy you have, whether you're a man or a woman, you gotta make peace with it from that standpoint of, hey, whatever... I have in my head, as dark and as crazy I think it is, first of all, everybody have these fantasies. The only reason I don't know about it is because there is so much shame and guilt about it and people don't talk about it. Second of all, that's the most profound and sacred expression of my own sexual being, of my own sexual expression, of who I am as a sexual being, you know? So instead of rejecting it and suppressing it, which as you can see in our culture leads to the inaction of those fantasies in a way that is non-consensual. Because if you look around all the sex offenders, the, and the rapists and all the people who act with aggression and violence from sexual urges, if you really dig deep down into it, it's people who haven't had the chance or the platform to act their fantasies 
or to share their fantasies even, let alone enact them in a way that is allowed, in the way that is wanted and accepted, in a way that is consensual and loving and transformational, you know? Mm -hmm. They didn't have that, either because they came from a very orthodox background with a lot of shame, um, and then those inner fantasies boiled up into frustration that eventually became resentment towards women or towards other people, and then eventually sometimes became violence. If we as a culture, and as first of all as individuals, but then in, as a culture, will create more spaces and more conversation and more discussion around the meaning of having fantasies, how we don't have to have any uh, shame around it, and how you can enact, no matter how crazy your fantasies is, there are people who wants the same thing in bed. So the focus should be rather than, you know, what's wrong with me? What's broken about me? How can I be more pure in my sexuality? Whatever arbitrary constructs and religious dogmatism makes us feel about sexuality. Instead, redirect that to how, what is the best way to enact or express those fantasies in a way that is beneficial to everybody? Because for example, if you're a man and you are, um, fantasizing about, you know, rough sex or some kind of uh, violation, violence or um, even rape or whatever it is in your like crazy extreme fantasies or incest or whatever, whatever you think that is too dark or too crazy or whatever. First of all, realize that everybody has these fantasies. If you go to Pornhub, the number one, the number one all time search is incest sex. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. It is the most... Um, yeah, it's just the most searched and the most watched porn ever. Um, and yeah. only in the last couple of years, they removed the ability to search for rape and things of that nature for obvious reasons. But I'm sure that if they weren't, those would have been the kind of, the kind of searches that, that you will see. That means that you want to fuck your sister? No, of course not. But you're fantasizing about it because there's something forbidden about it. And it's just erotic the forbidden, the, 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 the taboo. It's just there's something so erotic about it. So instead of shaming that, we should learn that and cultivate and realize that it's something that is innate within us, that is completely natural, that is part of our erotic self. And what we instead want to do is to channel that into spaces in which we can um, intelligently, um, lovingly, consensually, constructively and enact those fantasies in a way that is beneficial. So if you, for example, have one of these crazy fantasies, you can find people on the other side of that fantasy. For example, if you want to inflict pain or inflict power and that drives you crazy sexually, you can find people who like the same thing, who like to experience pain or experience um, um, a letting go of power. And you can play together and enact those fantasies in a place, in a space that is consensual and loving, consensual, <laughs> consensual, mm -hmm. Invented the world here, um, that will be not only pleasurable for everybody, but potentially deeply healing and loving and heart opening, um, no matter how dark it is. And so that, that's what I have to say um, on, on fantasies. One thing that I maybe I add, and I hope I'm not talking too much here. No, you're good. Um, there is something, an exercise that I like to do with some of my clients, when, especially men, when they are alone with themselves and masturbating or, you know. When you have a fantasy coming up, 
and if you practice sexual yoga or any any kind of of the practice and we can expand more about that later if you want you will slowly realize that there are things far deeper in your potential experiences from just watching porn and masturbating in order to ejaculate as quickly as possible there is so much more depth in your pleasure to experience and i'm talking especially for men because it just saddens me the amount of men who just got used to and um, feel the urge to ejaculate go watch porn masturbate and ejaculate as quickly as possible there is just so much depth to explore there you know and so what i recommend them to do is to engage in an act of self-pleasure that is detached from the need to ejaculate just forget about orgasms don't watch porn and instead use your own imagination later you will see that you don't even have to use your own imagination the deeper your practice is you'll see that just by breathing and becoming present you can become hard but that's deep into the practice and something that i do with with people that i work with but in the beginning, you can only, only use your own imagination. So you start seeing those fantasies. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a specific person, maybe it's a body part, maybe it's like a certain scene, whatever it is, see the people who are involved. And as you are pleasuring yourself to that fantasy, allow yourself to first see the form, like first see like maybe a body part or like the, whatever is attracting you in that moment physically that breathe that deeply in love that part of you who loves that and find that attractive and then see beyond that so if it's a person see beyond their form and see their heart maybe you know so you can keep seeing that fantasy but maybe see the heart of that person if it's a woman for example so you can see her heart her emotions her longings and, and heart aches and you know like see that the person that she is breathe that in and keep pleasuring yourself as you're doing that you know stay present stay conscious with that and dive even deeper and see beyond her form see her essence the place of which is infinite the place that is you and her or you and them are one see that divine essence within them that is undying and infinite and incredibly loving that ocean of love and keep masturbating and keep pleasuring yourself as you're doing that i found that fantasy work that i do with clients to be profound profoundly powerful especially for men because first of all it's not only removing shame from that because you witness yourself in experiencing the fantasy while touching yourself and it's just completely fine but not only that you are taking that fantasy that initially was something that is very fixated about like a body part or a specific kind of um, person or movement or what or scene and you're transforming that into a heart opening in that moment you can later do it with a partner, of course. You do, you make love with your partner. You practice that as well. You bring the fullness of your consciousness and awareness in the moment. You see her form, maybe her tits or her butt or whatever is driving you crazy. And then you practice seeing her heart and her being and breathing that in and being present with that as well and seeing beyond the form. This is where sexuality becomes an act of union, an act of not just experiencing sexual pleasure which is incredible in and of itself but driving a deeper sense of love that amplify our heart and love not just with each other but in the world as well um, it sounds like you're it's like you're going away from the physical and more into the energy connection of it or like maintaining not going both away, not going away. yeah not going away as much as including and transcending mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. there's no adding an energy that one is better than the other you're including the physical and transcending it you're including the personality and transcending it. It's like a depth, a more inclusive, like, more whole experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that. I love that focus because I feel like, um, and as you're saying this, it just, you know, it makes sense that when, if a lot of guys have shame around what they're watching on porn or what they think about, then of course they try to just ejaculate as quickly as possible to get over it. So they don't have to sit in the shame and then they get used to that. And then when they're with a partner, they wonder why they have premature ejaculation every time, you know, it's like, they're essentially training themselves by the way of their thoughts of how to just get, get over with it, you know? And, um, and it's not focused on pleasure. It's focused on like, right. I gotta, I gotta perform or I gotta like, you know, the evolutionary urge, you know, like Mm -hmm. think about premature ejaculation, for example, men, um, look down on themselves because they cannot, uh, you know, stay long or whatever, because they see all around, like stay as long as you want, whatever. And they look at themselves like, wow, I cannot last more than like one or two minutes. What's what's wrong with me. But then you realize that it's nothing is wrong with you. It's 50,000 or a hundred thousand years of evolution that has programmed men to ejaculate as quickly as possible to move the species forward. You know, like that's simply what it is. Your inability to control your ejaculation is simply um, the most basic evolutionary urge playing itself out. Nothing more, nothing less. But the beautiful is that when, you know, the evolutionary of physical world is not the only evolution that is happening. There's also the evolution of your awareness and consciousness. And the deeper and more spacious your awareness is within in all of those moments, the deeper your breath is, the deeper your presence, you're basically practicing um, the, the, the going away from that, from the, the you know, like the, the deepening of that innate evolutionary uh, um, urge. And you are allowing yourself to expand that experience. And yes, when we watch porn and we... It's not just the, the element of shame in it, but it's also that's just the satisfaction, the immediate satisfaction of the evolutionary urge. Your brain doesn't make a difference between if you are depositing that um, seed inside of an actual woman and really actually starting to make a baby with it, or you're just ejaculating to a, a woman on porn. Or your body and your brain doesn't matter. They experience the same thing. And in the same way, you can practice more depth even when you're watching porn, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. there is anything inherently wrong or bad with porn. Um, and I, I would not recommend people to like try to cultivate more discipline and stop watching porn because this is what, what you resist persists. Instead, what I recommend people to do is starting explore, to explore the depth of their pleasure in a way that finally will allow them to experience such deep, profound, pleasurable experiences without porn, that porn will just become, they become indifferent for that. It's become redundant and in, uninteresting, you know? And you I start doing that. it by cultivate awa- cultivating awareness as you're masturbating and watching porn. I love that because guys don't realize how much eroticism, erotic energy is within them that they can cultivate at any time if they really practiced it, you know, and, yeah. and had mindfulness behind it. And then like you're saying, then porn is like, it's just not as good. It's not as tempting anymore because you know, the depths of your own eroticism, which I feel like most men just don't know because they've never explored and society doesn't teach that. Right. Like we're not taught to really go into the depths because sex is so taboo. And it's like this vicious cycle that's holding people back from, from going down, from going through those levels. But, um, I do want to bring, I do want to bring something up before I forget. Um, or pertaining to this topic. So first of all, the rape fantasy you mentioned is, 
Yeah. So, so true. Like I, I couldn't believe when I was doing research on that, how, how, uh, prevalent that is. And it, it amazed me that even women, and I, I, for, I don't know the percentage offhand, but there were a good amount of women who actually were raped, who still would fantasize about rape after yep. going through this horrible traumatic experience and they would still fantasize about it. So you have to like, looking at it that way, it's like, all right, well then it's not about the experience. It's about, like you said, like the context around the experience or like, maybe not the context, but, um, the, what was the word I was going to use? Pretty much understanding like, like what's behind the fantasy? Like what's the actual meaning for you that this fantasy, like, what does this fantasy mean to you? Not just what happened during it, but like, what does it mean? What's the meaning? And I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think the differences or the balances between uh, just having a fantasy and just accepting it? Like you said, observe it and accept it, but also trying to understand it. Like, do you think it's, do you think everyone should really try to understand the meaning of all their fantasies? Is that important? That's a beautiful question. And I think it touched exactly in the point to a point in which I'm expressing a lot, which So in my experience in this work, there are two main paths, generally in in self-development or the spiritual path, there are two main paths. There is a therapeutic path, which you find in therapy, sexology, sex therapy, and psychology, psychotherapy, and all that stuff, the therapeutic part, which has to do with really, like you said, going down to tracking down this thought and feeling and, and fantasy that I have, where is it coming from? How is it connected to what childhood experience I've had, maybe past traumas and so on and so forth, and why it's appearing right now and and so on and so forth in order to drive more insights into what can I do with that constructively right now. And then with the other path, which I don't even have a name for it specifically, but it's the other path, which rather than uh, some kind of a level of, or or like hierarchical um, a measurement, it's just a different way of perceiving reality. And it happens when you realize that there is a certain, and it becomes a bit spiritual, but bear with me. When you realize as a person, and you don't have to be spiritual for it, by the way, you can just observe reality and, re- and clearly enough, and you'll get to the same realizations. You realize that you are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions. You are not your past experiences. All of those things are human experiences that have happened, that have formed some kind of a central concentration of consciousness that you call or feel or experience as my sense of self or me in the world, which has to do with my memories, my past experiences, my childhood stuff, where I came from, what I'm doing, who I am, blah, blah, blah. But then there is an essence within you that is far, far more infinite than all of these things, which is just the part of you that observes all of that. Because inherently, if you can observe something, there is some kind of a separation between you and that thing, you know, and if you can look at your thoughts and you can observe your past experiences, it means that you are not them. And in my experience, when you arrive to that conclusion, not just mentally, but also experientially in your, in your being, it starts mattering less and less and less all the why like, why am I this way? Why this thought came in that particular time? Where this fantasy came from? How is that connected to what I experienced in my past? Because you're just not identified with those things anymore. You can experience, you are experiencing your thoughts and emotions and fantasies, but they're just experiences. They are not something you identify with as much. 
So, and in that space of being, in my experience at least, it's way more interesting um, when something is coming up, just realizing it and seeing it for what it is, than trying to dig back and figure out all the ins and outs of why and where is it coming from. Because in my experience, you can, you can play that game and people love it these days, like uh, therapy and uh, shadow work and all that stuff. It's like super popular right now. And maybe I'm going to get some fire for what, for what I'm saying right here, but I don't believe in all of those things. Not because I don't feel that they should exist in the world, but if they exist, some people benefit from them. Um, but I feel like maybe it's helpful in the beginning of your path to kind of like start um, cultivating some level of awareness on, on who you are, on your thoughts and your emotions, on your state of being and state of mood and so on. But over a certain point, it's just, I feel to me like a redundant and useless digging in something that is just impermanent, intangible and arbitrary, which is your sense of self, you know? So it's for it's me- It's more regressing I, in a way than progressing. You know, exactly. like, like why look back if you're not going that way? You know, I can yeah. see certain times, certain points. I mean, that's why I chose not to be a sex therapist. Like I chose that because it's like, I would prefer to be a coach where I'm focused on forward, you know, actions. And like, who are you now? The brain is so plastic. We know that at this point, like you can become a new person by rewiring your mind. So why look back and say, oh, well, this is me because of this, you know, it kind of traps you in a lot of exactly. ways. I love therapy so, though. I do love therapy and I believe in it, but I just want to Exactly. Say so it's not like I, I am against it or anything, but it's just, I, I feel like get into it with the awareness necessary to realize that that's not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And there are levels of consciousness and experiences of being that are just making therapy obsolete. And you'll get there at some point. Because I, I worked with people who've gone to a psychology for 10 years. Yeah. And they still feel bad about themselves, about who they are in the world, feel, still feel confused. And I'm like, I don't care what the path that you're taking. If it's 10 years in the making and it still hasn't improved your life profoundly, maybe, maybe explore something else, you know? Yeah. Maybe that it's not really helpful to just sit and talk about the past and realize that there is no past. There is no future. It's just happening right now, right here. And you are, you know, you are like a sound, you know, Ellen Watts like to say it beautifully, like a sound, when you hear a sound, where is it coming from? Does it come from the future to the present? No, sound just appears out of the present moment again and again and again. It appears out of emptiness, out of silence. So are you and so are the rest of existence. That particular right moment right now is just appearing and appearing and appearing and appearing. And there is no much relevancy to what happens before. So coming back to the coming back to the subject, the topic of discussion of, of fantasies, I feel that a far more potent way of working with fantasies is the in the here and now. Like, how can I take this fantasy and bring the fullness of my awareness into that whole experience, and then communicate that with that intentionality, the intentionality of heart opening, with the intentionality of love, of amplifying pleasure and amplifying presence in that moment with myself and with another is far more potent and far more interesting to me than like trying to figure out where is this? Because even if you tried to, there is a beautiful book, by the way, My Brain on Sex, that he coined the term um, intelligent lust. 
which is basically how to take your fantasies and enact them in a way that is, you know, profound, potent, consensual, loving, like beautiful. Oh, um, it's an interesting book. And it's an expose on exactly that kind of stuff. Our What's fantasies it called? In Intelligent Lust? Um, your Brain on Sex. Oh, oh This oh. is the name of the book. Oh, Your Brain by on Sex. By Stanley Siegel. Okay. It's an interesting book, um, but he's also not focusing too much on where is it coming from. He does, he does speak about a research that has been done on how we tend to eroticize certain traumas that we have in the past. So you spoke about these women who have experienced uh, rape and then want to keep experiencing that. But in a, fantas- in, a, in a fantasy, of course, they don't want to be raped again. But sometimes we experience such um, uh, traumatic experiences, either in childhood or later in life, that we eroticize them as a coping mechanism to kind of to make them pleasurable experiences. And it's, it's like a almost unconscious coping mechanism of the brain. Interesting theory. Um, I haven't read the entirety of the research on, on the topic, but it's an interesting um, book to read if someone is interested. For me, in my I, read, world is- I read around that, that like rape is rape is more about power than sex. Right. So it's like I I read that like for women who do go back to eroticizing rape after it's actually happened to them, it can give them like a sense of control where it's like, all right, I'm in charge of it, even though this is happening, like I'm putting yeah. it, you know, yeah. in my and mind, I'm making I'm it pleasurable. Making it way. What'd you say? And I'm making it pleasurable. Yes. Yes. So it's kind of like yeah, a changing it from trauma to mechanism. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it, it's a beautiful read and it's an interesting topic to, to research and, you know, I just feel in, in my work, my, my tendency to work with people's fantasies is instead of digging into the past and why you're experiencing it, what are you doing with it now? Like how, how can you become incredibly present and loving and accepting towards your current experience? And in my experience, that in it of, the, of itself as a practice makes far more transformation than just figuring out exactly where is it coming from because like you said the mind is a very elusive very plastic construct that we are just starting to figure out so even if you try to figure out or have a theory of why and where certain fantasy came from okay what are you going to do with it now Mm -hmm. I really like I really like that and I like that you gave that book idea to kind of be with the concept of being intelligent around your lust and like, how can I make this work for me now in the present moment and moving forward? Because I know there's a lot of men and my next question is around, uh, around how men can bring up fantasies that they are nervous about or feel ashamed of to their partner who they feel like their partner would not be down to reenact that fantasy or make it realistic. Um, and it's kind of like, this is a great outlet to learn how you can do it yourself or with a partner or bring up the conversation. But like, like you're saying, like men can find a way to relive their fantasies in, in other ways than exactly how it's in their head. Like they can kind of scratch that itch by maybe through, through solo masturbation. But, but the question I want to go back to is how do you bring up, um, how can men who are feeling shame around their fantasies, like, how do they know when they're ready to bring it up to their partner? That's a yeah. common question. So it's, it's a beautiful question. And obviously it's a, it's a case by case kind of thing that require a little bit of nuance. So when, if someone would come to me and ask that, we would speak for a while and like, okay, you know, what are you fantasizing about? What makes you believe that she wouldn't be 
um, recept uh, receptive for that, which usually in 99.9999% of the cases, um, your partner will be way more receptive than you think. You know, the only place in which the shame exists is within you, that you think that somehow there is something wrong with that. And therefore you project onto your partner that she will see the same way as well. And as you are making more peace with your own sexual expression and bringing more acceptance and more love into your own expression, which can be done um, in thought, can be done in practice when you self-pleasure yourself and just bring the fullness of your awareness to it and stay present no matter how extreme your fantasy is or whatever it is. Once you feel more comfortable and more peaceful with that and see how profoundly it influences and expands your pleasure and sexual expression and opens your heart, it will naturally become more easy for you to speak about it with your partner. Now, practically, a good way to speak about this kind of stuff with a partner is to find what I like to call a low-stake environment to have a conversation. Don't bring these things up in the middle of lovemaking. Um, don't just start enacting your fantasy without any prior preparation. Like if it's something just casually or playfully, you, you can... You can play it off. You can see what happens. But if it's something that you feel a certain heaviness about or something that is a bit on the extreme side of things and you've never experienced this kind of kinkiness or fetishism with your partner as of, as of yet, it's better to have a conversation about it prior. Just bringing it up and say like, hey, there's something I want to speak about. Is it a good time for you right now? You know, um, And you can start by saying what you do really very much enjoy doing with your partner like hey i love our connection in that and that regard i love how we do this and that it just drives me crazy and give me so much joy i love your ass i love your heart I, you know like all the things that you do enjoy and so it's not no but it's yes and you know mm -hmm. and there is something that i actually wanted to bring up there's something that i'm finding extremely pleasurable and i used to be very shame shameful about because it's quite on the extreme side and the kinky side but after experimenting with it with myself and making it a practice to accept it and to love it and to integrate it in my own self-pleasure practices i saw how profound profoundly beautiful it beautifully and it influences my experience so i wanted to also do it with you because i feel like it's also can expand our experience together and bring more connection more deeper intimacy and more joy to our connection and then you go up like who would say no to that like if, and if she will maybe you're not meant to be together honestly you know like if you really are in a devotional connection and you express your heart in such openness and you love and accept yourself for who you are and you are expressing that with the intention of really trying things that gets you closer together what partner will refuse that you know um, and maybe it will, maybe she will say like, fuck yes, I want that too. Maybe she will be a little bit hesitant and she will express her kind of like what is bringing up in her, what, what she feels about it. Maybe she has past experiences that kind of makes her hesitant about this particular thing. Whatever it is, have an interesting conversation about it. Stay open, stay compassionate and see where it takes you, you know. Um, it's always, no matter what, where it will go, it will lead you to where you need to be, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think there's so much, um, and, and even you're asking your partner, you know, if you can't meet me there, like, is there any middle ground we can meet on or like what, what version of this fantasy would you be comfortable with? You know, 
um, and just asking those confident questions. And I think that, like you say, it goes back to acceptance of yourself and acceptance of your fantasies so that you can actually have these conversations without going into it with an insecure or defensive reactional state that I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of men are in when it comes to having these conversations. They're like ready to protect themselves immediately. So they don't open up vulnerably. And then, you know, you're both tense and then the topic is out of the ordinary. So it just becomes a tense situation. I feel like that's what often happens in the communication. So first doing that inner work or that self-work around your fantasy to begin with, like, don't look to your partner for, for you to accept it. You know, you accept it first, then go to your partner and communicate. Exactly. And it's, it's always this, this, um, um, for the men out there, think about it as practice of opening up. So it's an opening up of your body. It's an opening up of your breath. It's an opening up of your heart. It's an opening up of your consciousness. And the natural inclination, the habitual thing that you tend to do when you are faced with your own fantasies, with the parts of you that you are ashamed of, with like uncomfortable, um, um, uncomfortable conversations with your partner and generally uncomfortable situations in life, your tendency is to collapse, to collapse physically, your breath becomes shallow, your spine collapses, you, you know, go into yourself. And this is where all the stress and premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction and it's not just expressions of your sexuality in bed, it's expressions of your sex of your being everywhere, you know, like and not not from a shameful place. If you have erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, it's simply a doorway that invites you to where you can expand and open up instead of collapsing. So your practice should become staying aware, staying conscious, elongate and deepen your breath, like really deep. Breathe into your cock, breathe into your balls, you know, feel the power, feel it opening up your chest, the entirety of your, of your front, you know, as you're experiencing this fantasy, instead of collapsing, open up. When your partner is, when the feminine is bringing up some difficult conversation or is rejecting some parts of you or like, you know, teasing you or testing you, whatever, instead of collapsing, open up. Cultivate the ability to stay conscious in life's pleasures and life pains, in life discomforts and life comforts. And that's really the, the practice. You know, it's beyond just accepting that particular fantasy, it's just staying open, staying open and expressing yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. That was great. Um, yeah. And I want to, I want to take this time to kind of go into go into a little bit of BDSM because I know that this is something that a lot of people fantasize. Um, a lot of the men who listen to this and they want to get into even just getting into light BDSM, but they just have no idea how to initiate it being that it can be very intimidating. And if they don't know how to bring up the conversation the right way, like, what is she going to think? And as you know, how, as I think of BDSM, it's more about trust than anything else. And it's, Um, it's, it's definitely like that, that tough conversation to bring up if you're, if you've been having very, you know, missionary vanilla sex, like how do you just bring that into the bedroom, especially when there's the power dynamic. And you had mentioned how important, um, power play in a relationship or how power play can highly benefit a relationship, especially within BDSM. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I know this is a huge topic, but wherever you want to take it. Yeah, um, let's just start from somewhere and see where it goes. And yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully it will go to where it needs to be for the particular listeners listening to it. 
Um, BDSM is just simply an umbrella term for or everything power dynamics. It's just many different kinds of power dynamics. So don't get too attached to the labels, you know. Um, playing with power is not something that is this consensually and lovingly playing with power dynamics in the bedroom is not something that is reserved for BDSM and kinky and fetish people. It's something that, in my opinion, is very much innate and integral in our being. There is a desire to lead and be led, you know? Um, and although we can have some generalization about how more masculine identified men usually gravitate more towards being the leader and taking leadership, and feminine identified women are usually more, or identified beings, by the way, because feminine masculine is not about gender, it's just mm -hmm. modes of being, modes of interacting and perceiving reality. But beings who are humans who are more identified with their feminine essence usually gravitate towards a desire to surrender power and to, to be allowed into a space, to be, to be held. Um, and so realizing that that is just part of our nature and not just something that is reserved for people. And I don't, this is why I don't like the term vanilla sex, because it makes a certain distinction of there is just this, and then there is BDSM and King, and then there is vanilla sex. But, you know expression of, of, of leadership and devotion and surrender and domination and power and all of these dynamics can be expressed in seemingly pretty vanilla spaces. It's not doesn't have to include props or floggers or, or, or any kind of uh, wear or, um, you know, masks or whatever props you, you, your bondage or whatever you're into. It can be expressed by sheer energy in the space, you know. Tapping, so both of you playing together and one is tapping into the one who's taking leadership and creating a devotional, loving, safe space that the feminine feels completely comfortable to surrender into, trust and openness of heart. And it has nothing to do with any using any leather or bondage or ropes or props or toys necessarily. So start from that. Start from cultivating that energy in the space because we don't really control anything in relationships and in life in general. But we do control our intentions and energy. What kind of quality of intention we bring to the space? What kind of energy? We don't control the mood of our partner. We don't control where this sexual expression is going to go. Sometimes it's epic. Sometimes it's a bit awkward or didn't work that well. Um, but we do control what kind of intention and what kind of quality of energy we bring. So you can consciously... You can start about just by doing that naturally, just cultivating that, becoming more aware and bringing that um, essence, that quality of, of, of dominance and, and, and leadership and loving devotion to your partner. So just taking that position of the divine masculine, providing a space for her to surrender and relax into by just being that energy in that space giving her pleasure, maybe putting your, um, staying with the pants on for a while and just providing that incredible pleasure, leading her throughout the experience. And that's something that is incredibly energetical. It has nothing to do with props yet. Then you can experiment with rope and bondage and other things and go and do your research and read about it. There are incredible books on the topics that you can find easily with a very short Google search. There are communities anywhere in the world, whatever city you are at, you can just search for bondage uh, or shibari uh, communities, for BDSM communities and fetish communities around you. If you're feeling 
um, frisky or like daring, you can go together with your partner to a certain sex positive event. Even if you're not going to get involved in anything, just being in that space and observing and like kind of like marinating in that energy can open you up to uh, whatever can work for you. But this is where I would start, you know, it starts from realizing that labels don't matter and there is no such thing vanilla or not vanilla sex. There is just love expressing itself in many different ways. Sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's other things. In that particular moment, it's sex. So, okay, let's experiment with, with power because it just drives so much polarity and, and, and eroticism into the space. Let's just do it. But it starts with the energy. Um, I hope that was... Yeah. And that's, it's really interesting to me because to me, the labels help to understand the different types of sex. So it's hard to like, and just for the sake of the podcast, using a label helps the guys identify with like, all right, what type, what is she talking about right now? You know, or like they identify with, I'm in this vanilla place and I'm trying to get to, to have more friskiness and like express more kinks. Um, And, but I totally get what you're saying. And I like the idea of just letting go of those labels and focusing more on the energy and being in the moment and having intention behind like, what type of sex do I want to bring to this relationship right now? Like, what is my intention? Um, and I, I think that that's, that's really helpful. And I'm wondering how, cause these, the guys listening, I, I will, I will make an assumption just knowing my audience, like the majority of them will not know how to, because they're very unfamiliar with it, tapping into a dominant energy that can then lead the sex to become more of that dominant type of leadership style sex that they would like to experience. So like, what would you tell? And you, you gave a few examples, like, you know, keep your pants on and like, tell her, like, tell her what to do. Um, I think you said that. Um, kind yeah, of like lead her and like move her in the space like be the mm-hmm. one who is leading the experience simple as that you know take leadership most men are um comfortable with that outside of the bedroom right you mm-hmm. know it's mm-hmm. something that our culture um encourages so take that quality into the bedroom but i would say that something that i only realized after many years in the fetish bdsm king bondage scene is that actually far more potent and far more interesting and something that will really lead you to where you need to be and help you drop into your power most than anything, more than focusing on how can I be more dominant is how can I be more devoted? And I speak a lot about it in my, uh, in my programs, in my membership and with my clients is the difference between domination and devotion. Um, so you start from domineering. Domineering is obviously an experience that no one wants, not in and not out of the bedroom. It's basically imposing your own will, whether or not it is of benefit of everybody involved. You know, mm-hmm. No one wants that, of course. Domination is more subtle and it's more about bringing a certain energy, but in a way that is playing out with a person in front of you who is desiring to submit. So it's a more consensual way. There is something even deeper than that that I feel starting from will be incredibly more potent. It's like devotion because both domineering and domination comes from an egotistical place of how can I satisfy my desires and what I need. And even when it comes to how can I give her pleasure, it's how can I give her pleasure in a way that satisfy my needs to be the man, mm. you know? Take a step farther and start from devotion. 
Devotion is the quality, your cult, it's, it's something that we do consciously, the cultivation of it. It's the letting go of oneself, my need for pleasure, my need for things go a certain way, my need for her to orgasm in order to feel good, all of that stuff, my need to do the right thing or be dominant or be the man or be more masculine or whatever arbitrary concept society tells you that you need to be in that moment in time. And instead, ask yourself, how can I be of service? service to her, service to this moment. When that becomes your point of focus, it creates such a safe, relaxed, and conscious space between you that allows her to surrender. Because while submission is a passive act, you know, like, okay, now I enter the space in which she's dominating, I surrender. Of course, it's better if she feels more safe, that will help the experience. But it's not because she feels safe. It's just um, a natural inclination when there is some, something dominating me, I submit, right? Surrender, on the other hand, is an active choice, an active act. It's when the feminine, or in that case, the feminine identified being or this man's partner, the man that we are um, talking about in that particular scenario, when she senses that his entire heart Consciousness, awareness, body and mind are all directed into devotion to the moment and devotion to her, devotion to amplifying pleasure and amplifying love and heart connection in that moment. She naturally wants to surrender. She craves to surrender because you allow her that platform to surrender to, you know. And when you start from that space, which it sounds maybe a little bit poetic and, and conceptual, but it's actually very practical. It's like redirecting your attention from how can I make it right or be more dominant or be that or be that or give her amazing pleasure so she will be, she will scream from pleasure and just love me more or like whatever kind of validation we seek there. <clears throat> and instead of how can I serve this moment humbly, lovingly, how can I serve her in the moment? How can I worship her body, pussy, mind, and heart in that moment? You know? And that's far more potent and more powerful. And it, it has a lot to do with power dynamics because the power dynamics naturally kind of like being invited into that space, you know, because when you are taking that seat, you're naturally gonna lead the space, you know, because you are in service, so you're leading it. It's like you're cooking for her, you're fucking her open to God, you know. Mm. start from there and see see where it leads you um because that is far more potent and far more interesting and far more polarizing and erotic than any props or any letters or you know toys that you can ever play with when that's your intention you can bring any toys and any new experiences as you want but this is what i like to talk about because you know, if you really want to get into BDSM, you have a ton, like a whole library about it. You can find the, the local uh, BDSM scene around you and like kind of like get advice from people and connect with like-minded people and a few Google searches and you'll have everything you need to know about BDSM. So that's not really super interesting for me to explain, but rather to speak from my own experience of, yeah, how did I experience this whole journey of, of, of getting from very selfish kind of needs to from doing sex for validation to having sex for the expansion of pleasure to having sex for the expansion of hearts and unity, you know? 
Mm. And it's the same way with power. It's the same thing, you know. It's what what are you, what are you focusing on? What are you what are your intentions are? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's cool. I never thought about it that way. I think like the main word there is intention, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That that's a good segue into the next thing. I just quickly want to talk about because we're over an hour. Oh my god. <laughs> um, mm. but I wanted to mention tantra and. Uh, tantric sex or tantric sex, tantric sex. Um, because I know that that, or I don't know much about it to be honest. And I, I I do feel as though it probably involves a lot of intention. Um, so if you can give, cause I know there's a few guys who had some questions around it and they would like to get into it. Um, if you could just give some general, sure. I don't know, go Um, where your brain takes you. (laughs) That's going to be not the usual um, answer that you're going to get. Um, the, the, the short and, and true answer is that Tantra has nothing to do with sex in particular. And quite frankly, the um, prevalency or like the, the popularization of the connection of Tantra and sex in this day and age is quite ridiculous. And when you start diving into the actual scriptures of Tantra, what it means, where it comes from, its origins and so on, it has not absolutely not one thing to do with sex or sexuality. Mm. Now, that being said, and it will become more clear as I say what Tantra actually is. And by the way, I'm not a Tantric practitioner or an expert by per se, but I did do quite a bit of research. um, And this is what I'm speaking from. So I invite everybody to not take my words for uh, blindly, but go search for yourself. But when you start going into the, um, the traditions, you realize that first of all, the meaning of Tantra, the, the actual translation of Tantra is simply systems, systems of liberation. It's original scriptures, especially when we talk about, there are a few lineages of Tantra, but the origins is Shaivism Tantra, non-dual Shaivism Tantra, which refers to both a philosophy of the, how the world, the world is constructed um, a philosophy of how the mind works and the body works, and then systems of actual practices like that involves breathing, meditation, self-contemplation that are meant to bring a person to self-realization, which is always the point of all yogic traditions. Mm-hmm. Tantra um, is one of the oldest um, one of the oldest traditions that we know about, some of the oldest scriptures. Um, was I don't remember how long exactly it's dated, but a few thousand years ago, we have the first scriptures of Tantra. And basically the revolutionary um, element of those scriptures were that so far in India and Southeast Asia in general, the prevalent um, spiritual, spiritual thought and religion was all about ascetism. So like renouncing oneself from worldly pleasures and worldly actions in order to reach higher levels of consciousness in order to reach liberation. So it was all focused about renouncing worldly pleasures, money, sex, and all that. Um, And that was the prevalent way of of being in in spiritual communion with God. Until the Tantrika came, um, there are a few scriptures that the the oldest ones, um, I think, date to like 2,500 years ago, like the first scriptures of of, um, Tantra. Um, there is a beautiful, beautiful books by um, uh, what's his name? Have it um, There is a book called Tantra Illuminated by Christopher D. Wallace. He's a 
really beautiful teacher, a practitioner, and a scholar of tantric traditions. Um, and basically what, it, what, what they said, the tantric was like, listen, there is no duality. There is no real difference between the divine or God or pure awareness and the worldly happenings. It is all one. Therefore, you can find God in everything and everyone. That also includes sex. <laughs> but in the scriptures, there is nothing about mm -hmm. sex in particular. It's just the idea that we can find God, we can find divinity, we can find the ocean, the infinite ocean of love that reality is in its essence in everything and everyone. From a stone to a moment of lovemaking to a moment of hardship in work and whatever and so on and so forth. That was the, the revolutionary kind of idea of, of the tantricas. It was so revolutionary that it basically uh, spread all around India and Southeast Asia. Even um, like Buddhism, as we know it today, it's tantric Buddhism. All the yogic traditions, the yoga sutras, the uh, karma yoga, um, bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, and, and, and raja yoga, it's all originated from the same origins of Shaivism Tantra that was the first time that we know of, or the oldest scriptures that exist in that part of the world, that a non-dual philosophy was spoken about. Um, and that's basically in very, very, very few words, in very shallow way, what Tantra is. Yes, there are lineages of Tantra, like Red Tantra, and some esoteric traditions that there are no scriptures or written content about them, but it's kind of like word of mouth that some rumors that in some traditions of the Tantra, in like this yearly festival that they had, there was also a space that was dedicated to this kind of like purge um, kind of orgy kind of space thingy, that everything is allowed or something. as kind of like a part of the of, of a ritual. But not only it's not in the scriptures, it's definitely not the focus of Tantra. And we don't really know what happens there. And it has no real meaning or... Uh, mention in most of the in, in tantric tradition so interesting the reason why now you see sex and tantra so connected and uh, christopher wallace talk about it in the book and in podcasts that i listen to him as well i highly recommend checking him out is uh, there were a few practitioners and a few people who brought tantra to the west and uh, in the west we like to make soups out of everything and because it, it makes for good slogans and it sells a lot of programs and and so, yeah, it was just serving these particular people to kind of like mix the two. And now it's so prevalent that most people that teach Tantra or sexual Tantra or intimate Tantra have no idea of what Tantra actually is, never studied the actual scriptures and just learned that from kind of like a very um, Western we went to like source. a Tantra school. <laughs> yeah, from a very like California. Tantric schools. There's yeah, actually yeah. one, I'm in Mexico, not so far from here, there is Hridaya. Hridaya school of, um, of, of yoga or meditation tradition. And it's a very tantric school. Their philosophy is non-dual. The, the guru there is, is a tantrika. There is no, <laughs> nothing that has anything to do with sex. They just do silent retreats, meditations, dharma talks, yoga uh, retreats, and so on and so forth. Very connected to the tantric traditions. His uh, former partner has um, a very controversial um, ashram in Kopangan in Thailand, which is also some place I, I lived um, the last couple of years, 
there they practice this esoteric tantrum or western kind of um, amalgamation of, of tantric traditions and sexuality and uh, not surprisingly there are a lot of allegations around this place there are a few accusations of rape and all that kind of stuff not that i'm saying that anyone who connects sex and tantra is necessarily a controversial or, or scandalous but it's just very important for me at least as as, as a speaker of truth um, as someone who is interested not just in a practical or in the practice but also in the scholar understanding of things and scriptures to make that separation to mm-hmm. for people to realize that it has nothing to do with each other now that being said there is an element of tantric practice that will deeply touch the way you make love that's absolutely for sure and i'm not the expert of that particular um maybe i am but it's not where I'm coming from, like it's not my lineage, I'm not speaking in that lingo. So maybe some of the practices that I teach or some of the things that I do are very tantric in their, um, in their essence, but it's not just how, it's not like my lineage or how I speak about things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you are interested and you want to dive into tantric practices, which will mostly involve meditation, silent meditation, certain ways of, of working with, with uh, life force energy in your body, very yogic stuff, um, then go for it. It will definitely expand your ability um, to bring yourself in more fullness in lovemaking as well. But just please, please, people have to start separating between these two because it's just it, it's just funny, honestly. Um, <laughs> it's driving you crazy. That yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's so that's so interesting because yeah, I just hear tantra and I hear I think sex immediately. Exactly. I think that yeah, uh, I think that uh, a lot of people gravitate towards the idea of it because of I think this is my assumption that people gravitate towards it because they see it as a more uh, way of being in the present moment during sex. I think that's the whole image that Western culture has tied to it, where it's like, yeah, the yogi type, you know, background of yeah. it. But that's that's really interesting to hear like where it came from and what it actually means. And and um and yeah, for people to just do their do their own research around it. And and yeah. I mean again, like practicing Tantra or any other yoga or mindfulness practices or anything else will expand your ability to be more present in the moment, to bring more of your awareness into sex and lovemaking naturally, because sex mm-hmm. is part of life, mm-hmm. especially tantri, Tantra, because it's a non-dual philosophy that basically sees everything as the manifestation and expression of the divine. It also means that sexuality and our sexual expression, including all of it, our fantasies, as we spoke about, our uh, arousal, our uh, lovemaking and sex and whatever it is, it's all also the expression of the divine. In that sense, yes, this is tantric, tantric way of, of seeing things. But you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just yeah. being more present. And, and yeah, if, if, if you find... I. Let me say it this way. I highly suggest people who are curious about it to actually go to the origins of the scriptures to study under teachers who are familiar, not only as practitioners, but also as scholars of the origins of the scriptures, not just in tantric traditions, in any tradition whatsoever, because between the origins of the traditions and between the actual information that we usually get, there is a buffer of new age nonsense that is just standing in between and usually it's really giving us a distorted kind of image of what the actual mm-hmm. practices are. So 
if you're curious about Tantra, by all means, like it's a wonderful tradition. It will, ex will expand your awareness, your way of being, your way of being in service in the world, your purpose and your relationship as well and sex. But go start and learn other teachers who actually know what they're talking about, not some kind of um, new age uh, facilitate, uh, you know, program facilitator who just attach the word Tantra to their teachings to make it more um, buzzworthy. Uh, that's what I would, I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for spreading your knowledge on that. That was cool. Um, okay, great. So we're going to close out. I want to ask you one last question. Um, and that is just, if the guys were to remember one thing from this interview, the most important thing that would be the most effective for their, their sexual being moving forward, what would you say that that piece of information is? Well, the ultimate piece of information to remember is that you are love, that you are loved and that you are love and that you are by your very being, no matter how judgmental you are towards yourself, no matter how dark and crazy your fantasies are, no matter how hard your dick is or isn't, no matter how fast or long it takes you to ejaculate, no matter if you're in or out of a relationship, you are the very expression of the divine itself in that particular very moment. And that is, there is no amount of healing or practices or things you can do that will make you more worthy of love than you already are. It's like waves in the ocean. You are a wave of the ocean. You know, you don't say that the waves are the ocean, but they are definitely an integral part of it. You know, they are definitely part of the ocean. And so are you, and so am I. We are drops in that ocean of infinite love and infinite wisdom. And that's the best thing that we can cultivate remembering in this lifetime. That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for being on, Yuval. You're so like, you give such a good uh, spiritual, poetic perspective that of just a lot of great information that I feel everyone needs to tap into the side of things. I, for myself too, like haven't, um, done, done a lot of, uh, going down the spiritual realm and you just deliver it so perfectly. Like I really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks for being here and thanks for being, uh, here for the guys as well. They really get enjoyed it just as much. I hope this episode helped you. If it did, I would love for you to leave me an iTunes review. It would mean the world to me. You can also screenshot your favorite episodes and tag me on Instagram at Steph Ganowski. And before I go, remember, your sex life is as good as you make it out to be. Until next time.